Good afternoon. It is 12 on a Thursday on WHPK, WHPK 88.5 FM. I am Damon. This is the homie. This is Daniel. You're listening to Ergo, showcasing strong young voices from Chicago and beyond. For those of you who don't know, each week we bring an artist, writer, organizer, poet, musician, uh, strong young voice from the city up here, have a conversation, showcase some of their work and their thoughts and uh, mix a little music in. How you feeling today, Dave? I'm decent. I'm kind of tired, man. My my dad came in, did, he does radio at my house. Uh, so like he woke me up at like six and I couldn't get back to sleep. So I've just been kind of up. I'll, uh, I'll wake you up if I need to. I'm here. I'm ready. Throw a little elbow. No, I'm ready to go. <laughs> you not worry about me. Um, before we get to our guest, um, a couple as we like to do uh, community announcements, stuff coming up. First off, we plugged this the last couple weeks, but this Sunday at Emporium, uh, is death and taxes it's a fundraiser to save ergo alum via rose's crib uh damon and i will be hosting great lineup featuring raven Linay, via uh john doe dria smith uh dally austin malcolm london heard everybody amazing lineup uh and it's free come through give a little bread help save her house right here in chicago um and come say what's up also quick shout out to James, a high school student who I met earlier this week, who says he listens to the podcast every week. What up, James? Shout I'm out to with you. you, man. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, uh, tomorrow, there's going to be a screening of the new Black Panther documentary. If you haven't seen it yet, uh, definitely come to this event. I think there's no ticket, so it's just first come, first serve. On uh, 72nd and Kimbark at 6.30, BYP is sponsoring this event. I'm actually going to be speaking on the panel. I've seen it already. I'm excited to talk about it some more. Come rock with us. And shout out to the Lighthouse over there on 53rd and Hyde Park for sponsoring Ergo. We're going to go have a great lunch with our guests after this and we are so excited to have you here mr ricardo gamboa how are you feeling today good a little hungover where well, yeah you and my sister was getting drunk last yeah, night right that punch. <laughs> that she's punch so so dang as i walk it up i run into ricky and he's on the phone with my sister and right now she's like looking for her car because she's so drunk last night she, she didn't remember where she parked <laughs> like, i can't even begin to remember when I put this car. <laughs> so that's hilarious so what y'all get into uh nothing i mean you know we were just participating in good old urban renewal and gentrification mm-hmm. by going to like a cute new hipster bar that opened up <laughs> in pilsen relatively recently um and then drinking it's called punch house we we're just drinking there for a little bit and then came back and talked and did a list of things uh you automatically grow a curly Q mustache when you drink that, right? <laughs> yeah. You all of a sudden like your hair just starts like forming into like a man bun on top of like, no! <laughs> Um but no, we just kinda like uh yeah, we just uh we're talking, uh came back and talked and then passed out. <laughs> word, yeah. word. So so for those who don't know all that you do, uh it, they should really be excited to get to learn about you. I'm excited to have you here. I know that you are a performer, you are a, a writer, um you're somewhat of like an academic when would you, do you, do you yeah. claim that yeah um, i'm in the system right <laughs> where where so of knowledge production I, I met you like a a, a year ago actually mm-hmm. on a road trip right. we were going down to ferguson um and damn that's been a year yeah, just about it was, it was maybe like march <laughs> um and you My were levels. like we had so much fun you, you're hilarious i'm ex- i'm just excited to have a free floor mm-hmm. conversation i don't even have any plans i'm just gonna follow Let's your lead it. for the day but you were like one of the smartest people i've ever met i've actually called you the the smartest person thank you that's I like met. a mutual admiration <laughs> now that we're done going down on each yeah. other <laughs> in the yeah. realm of compliments i always, I always give my compliments sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> you want to set it. the tone early um yeah so and i know you've been we'll, we'll start off with at least the the first place that i saw you in person do your thing and you've been involved with some of this uh let us breathe work you know between ferguson and then the breathing room event that we had a couple of weeks ago. How did you get? First of all, how do you and Christiana know each other going back in this theater world and in this city? Yeah, I mean, I think you know me. Me, I met Christiana, uh, Damon's sister, about ten years ago. Now we were oh, we wow. were figuring it out. We're like that was a decade ago, you know. <laughs> yeah, um, <old> is <laughs> <laughs> yeah we, we gotta cut it. You strong know, young voices. <laughs> my Saturn has returned already. <laughs> but so yeah, we met. Um, you know, we met over a decade ago, and what we were we were both a part of this project at American Theater Company, and it's kind of like this idea of like bringing like emergent young writers and theater makers to kind of like interview the community and put on a play for the community and things like that. Um, and you know, and, like a lot of nonprofit work, it was totally like free labor and accessing like native informants to go ahead and (laughs) kind of compose it compose right this work to um 
validate their grant applications yeah. and, and and reports. Um, but then you know there was some good collateral uh, effects in terms of you know how it did rally around community and it did bring a bunch of people together at um, Chase Elementary School. I just remember the name right now. <laughs> um, but then since then we've kind of like stood in touch in terms of. Uh, I think both of us in, in our own paths have became a lot more politicized um, and active within and outside of, you know, mainstream normative channels of art and cultural production. Yeah. Damn, that sounded hella academic. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, what I mean was mainstream and normative. <laughs> like, what I mean was a making uh, creative stuff, you know? We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna bounce back and forth between wor big words and little words, all interviews, so just get comfortable with it. Um, but a lot of those that just in those first like two minutes those themes that you brought up and and i think the thing that comes across for me is you're just not here for half-assing and hypocrisy like you're mm. you're gonna point out when whether it's a person an artist an institution uh is doing things that ultimately are detrimental or problematic a couple more big words yeah. um and i think the first thing for me that i ever saw that you had created was it was actually just like an essay slash rant about the MCA mm -hmm. um, and a project they were taking on. First of all, I know it's it's going back a little bit, but like I think it's kind of a good example of uh, a role as a you know someone bringing the problematic pieces to light that you do better than maybe anyone else. Like, what was that particular instance? And then we'll talk for a sure. About so it. the Museum of Contemporary Art, the MCA. Um, was having a project and they were applying for, you know, like different funding. And what their idea was, was that they would bring in these um, respected international artists, specifically from Mexico City, um, this, the this this theater, this team, this, this theater group. And uh, they were going to bring them in, into Chicago and uh, tell Chicago's Mexican-American and Mexican immigrants uh, untold history. Um, and how they were going to do this was they were going to gather some local Mexican-American artists or Latino artists who, uh, as well as establish connections, this is a quote, establish connections uh, with them and with community organizations and key individuals and organizations to gain access to the people's stories, right? right. By people, we mean this brown, amorphous, anonymous <laughs> mass, right? Yeah, like the, the yet untold stories, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, you know, part of this, right, talks about, like, can, you know, there's this uh, theorist, a Southeast Asian woman that asks, can the subaltern speak, right? Can people represent themselves like people that, that are part of the, the dark, that, that are part of like the mass and so i think about that you know with, with this right like it was like why is it right this thing called arts activism or you know what i mean like the the social practice turn in, in modern art is always about you know in these certain ways representing people and assuming the authority to represent them and it often goes unquestioned right and so and it reiterates these certain dynamics so the idea was like that you know these mexican americans that grew up like on the south side like me we could never right have the have the capacity to tell our tell our stories or to or to uh, share our experience, much less in an aesthetically sophisticated way. Right, you need these you know. translators with their degrees, basically. Right, or credentials. Right, and that you know when we there's this other thing that that, that called colonialism, right? <laughs> like that was all about the importation of certain bodies who then were endowed with the ability to. Uh, represent mm -hmm. right certain people, but what they were really doing was representing right, yeah, like yeah. representing a certain Ooh, type of status quo. I see what you did. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, hey, right. word. <laughs> I did spoken word yeah, too. I want to talk about that piece that you did. Uh, but but off kind of you know what what you're going with. Um, I think what I can appreciate about you is you probably might be the most critical person I've seen in terms of like. Um, attacking or critiquing institutions. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that you've done that in a way that sometimes does not always serve your best interests. And like- Solidarity means running the yeah, same risk, man. Yeah, and the, sometimes the, you gotta be willing to go for broke, you know? Yeah, so where do you think that came from? That 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 ability and that that passion to, to critique power, critique the status quo or what is considered normal? You know, I talk about this all the time, like, and I got to change it up because I don't want I don't want to be I don't want it to foment as like my elevator speech because like my parents lives are like, man, I'm even like oddly choked up. But like, so I think about, you know, my mom's yearbook and my dad's like high school yearbooks and they're just filled with obituaries. And I think about like my grandparents, right, like came over as like immigrants from like this rural part of Mexico. I mean, like dirt floor part of Mexico, like when we ever go back and visit and you just think about all the violence all these people have endured. And it's all predicated, right, so much upon, like, 
um, trying to get better, trying to get better. So there were two things that I just started, you know, thinking about. Like one is like maybe we need to ask another question besides always can we get better? Can mm-hmm. we get into the better space? Can we get the bigger this, you know? And then the other part was like all these all these ways in which um try like, you know, how do you try capital short capital routes desire. You know what I mean? And, and what, what what does that mean capital routes desire? <laughs> Dang, okay. Let me, I'm thinking like 18 things at once right now. So let me channel one. So I guess again, right, thinking about like the idea about violence, people wanting more, people not ever being able to talk about themselves. And then you have these people that assume the mantle of like, yo, I'm one of the people, right? I'm one of the people. I, I have the authority to, to talk, to speak, you know, right. with them, for them, all these things. Whether they're politicians or artists or whatever. Right. It's always, yeah, they, things get lost in that translation, though. And so, like, part of, though, right, you know, and, and I'm going to emerge into the light as the voice, you know, and, and represent these people. But so much of, of how capital routes desire, right, is like, yes, you want the big house, you want the money and all that stuff. You know, we're talking about real currency. Mm-hmm. But then there's also emotional currency, right? And emo- and and the accumulation of notoriety or things like that that are like in a shadow economy of feelings, you know, or status and things like that. And so I think a lot of times what we see are like activists and artists leveraging, right, as a form of social, of cultural capital, emo- effective capital, emotional capital, like their own oppression to get, gain onto themselves certain types of career mobility certain types of recognition certain types of status you know especially when you know what institutions or folks with more resources or power like are looking to hear yeah like when you're writing that grant application or whatever you know exactly what they're looking for and you know how to get and i've been that liar you know what i mean i've been that person that was doing that and like i think that's part of it like i give myself chills because i hate that guy but i know (laughs) that i was him you know and some of it's like we can't help like sometimes you're like the, the 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 horizons of conceptualization what you can imagine Right. It's so small that you're like, oh, of course I want to be on the MCA stage with this right. international artist, you know, like that, that means something. And it's like, nah, we need new, new ways of appraising and evaluating and measuring what matters. You know what I mean? Yeah. So how did it come from seeing that, seeing um, kind of how precarious art can be? I've been using that word a lot lately, a like good the one. last three, four weeks. Precarious. I think if we go back in archives, I feel like I've said it. Each episode. <laughs> um, we'll do a word. <laughs> but, you know, how... how precarious the arts could be especially those who are trying to be in some like respects representative of oppressed people right what you basically i'm trying to like summarize what you right. just said of what you see um and how does that realization and maybe even your position within that how did it go from realizing it to saying okay now i'm going to call out steppenwolf i'm going to call out mca i'm going to take my time out of my day i'm going to sacrifice um the resources that i can get because it is necessary to to break that paradigm you know i think like good activism is this thing called like being alive and ethical you know what i mean like (laughs) it's come to that like our like our world is so inverted and perverse that like sometimes like just doing the right thing becomes an an activist action and so like you know i grew up around uh one of the people that was super influential in my life was like lupe lozano and she's you know the wife of the widow of rudy lozano who's an assassinated community activist right and so it's like you know that that idea and also just like seeing the way seeing the way my parents worked with people you know and and the choices that they made and it's about like you have to speak up you know my dad always talks about his mom or his or his uh or his dad not being able to not being able to speak english in moments so having to advocate for them you mm-hmm. know what i mean and for me right like having access to more elite places and seeing people trying to like diss my parents right like trying to look down on them cuz they are from the hood or things like that and then having to having to catch that and, and advocate and call that out in the moment, right? So it's like these things in which you're like, um, man, like you're like thrown into the mix and then there's all these confrontations and each one, right? Each one of those is like this opportunity of like, who are you going to become? Who are you going to become? And then the other thing is like, you know, who gets to have the official record? You yeah. know, like who gets left out? Like those obituary clippings in my mom's yearbook. Like no one will ever know those people existed, you know? like, mm-hmm. And so like... The, you know who and, and i think that's how and, these and, things and operate. how do the and and how do those institutions like contribute actively into that the silencing of those people yeah i mean we can talk about you know stepping with uh, the graffiti play they did and uh you know it's written by kevin Koval and Idris right, goodwin right. right and like it's kind of like oh you know the moment that they pick in terms of graffiti writers right like is um they're going to interview these graffiti writers about a time when they uh, bombed the Art Institute of Chicago and wrote, this is modern art. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And you know that's all that's all that's all fine and good, great. People can make whatever they want, but they you know there's some controversy around it because some critics you know came down on it. But you know the 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 way they were like, we are the voice of the people, and I'm like, no, Steppenwolf, you're more the Art Institute than you are the graffiti writer. <laughs> right. You know, like, and that even that idea, right, is like that if we're gonna have a, a tale about graffiti writers, we need these credentialized playwrights to to be the ones to tra to translate that story for consumption. You know, and like. I keep on thinking, right? Like I grew up on the South Side and uh, Evil and Afro, right? They're like these two Mexican-American graffiti writers that were ran off the road in 2000, I want to say 2007. Uh, they ran off the road, ran off the road by a drunk cop uh, off the expressway and they died. And the cop, you know, wasn't indicted. You know, not, nothing happened to him, got off scot-free. Scott and so this is before like Mike Brown, this is before all these things. But the thing his mom said in an interview, and you could look it up on the news report was like, it's like our lives don't matter. Mm. You know, and so like if we're talking about this moment of like precarious, precarious life, right? Mm -hmm. Like youth precarity, bodies of color being precarious, how how much more important, right, would that have been as as a, as a play? And why I say that is because graffiti writers and young people like on the south side still talk about those two guys, mm. you know, and like maybe given the chance, that would be what they would want to represent, you know. But of course, like you got like the nonprofit, like as a and they operate like as colonization, right? There is this thing called anthropology, right? Because the, <laughs> the idea is that like, yo, we're going to interview these graffiti writers. So it's really cool. This is right. But wasn't that what ethnography did? We're going to go into your community or survey a population. And then we're going to render them into, into a document, a you know, and yeah, publish yeah. it, which is what a play is. Right. You know, it's just wow. you publish it with bodies. You publish it with, with props and sets. But it's the same damn thing. Right. So for you, and we'll, we'll hear an example of what you do in the face of Eraser in a second. Um, but for you thinking about the, I, I do think like those forms can be useful. And maybe that's just me speaking from my subject position on it. But there's all, I, I do think there are examples of ways where like those forms have opened up spaces that would not have allowed any conversation in before. And I think like that's work that's probably worth doing. But the question is like, if you don't want to do that work, what other path is there if you want to be making stuff that engages with these themes and still be able to pay your bills on it, right? Like if the only thing that you can make a living on is translating it for white folks with a lot of money, that's not really going to work for a lot of artists, you know? Right. Like nothing is one thing. You know what I mean? I'll say I'll be the first to say that. But what we have is a bunch of people only chasing one thing, right? right? So like, well, where are, where, you know, <coughs> if, if you're going to make that play, where, where are you compensating? You know I mean, or like, why does it have to be a $40,000 production at this theater? You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, why is that the commission right. you're going after? You know, and I, I just think that there's a lot of other <laughs> questions we could ask. And what, and that's part of it, right? Like, cap, like when I say cap, like capital functions by the what, how it figures the imagination, how it puts limits or delimits the imagination, right? And so part mm -hmm. of that's like, it's like, oh, yeah, well, I have to do this. I got to eat. I got, I got to pay the bills, you know? Like, and so I think, and that's all real, right, to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. But that all relies on like that becomes its own fetish object, right? That's own like <laughs> self-fulfilling prophecy and things like that. Um, I vehemently stood away from certain places like, you know, like Steppenwolf or, you know, as a theater artist or, you know, as a visual artist, something like MCA, or, like as a writer writing for television or writing for film. Like those are things that like and I've managed some of that. Right. Is like if, well, you know, in, my own hypocrisy is like I'm in the I'm in the worst like the worst corporate university in the country, New York University, like obliterated like the lower Manhattan. You know, it's got slave labor in Abu Dhabi, like all sorts of like injustices. Um, I rationalize that in my mind. I noblize it by saying like, oh well, I'm in this program that's about radical mm -hmm. scholarship, and right, right. I'm this person, and I've democratized this this knowledge. But like you know, the reality of the matter is like m my hands are dirty. And like all that's of right. ours are, and we need to get that. We need to be able to have that conversation. Yeah, you know? Yeah, that's real. We, we it, it, people always ask me like, "What can I do?" Mm. Um, and I'm like, just start with you, and start with mm. the institutions that you're engaging. Like, you don't have to go out and and dance in the street to like be a part of of being the change that we're all looking for. But I think this is a good time for us to catch our breath. This is Ergo Radio 88.5 WHPK. We are here with the brilliant Ricky Gamboa. Uh, and we're going to hear him do his thing a little bit. Is this, this SNL joint? You want to mm -hmm. drop it? Yeah. Well, you want to give an intro to where this came from? Actually? <laughs> yeah. Just real um, quick. You know, so Saturday Night Live uh, invited Donald Trump to host their show mm -hmm. on November 7th, I think it was. And... 
you know, we're talking about a guy that's basically Fascist. propelled, right, into <laughs> into like the it propelled as like a leading Republican candidate based on like yeah a, a fascist platform um, and like a, a ton of anti-immigrant hate directed towards specifically Mexican Americans, right, who are probably cleaning his hotels, right. you know, like Latin Central American immigrants. And um, so one of the things I thought about was like the multiple layers of. Uh, after upness, right? Are we allowed to swear? No, right? We're, well, we're not allowed to, okay. but uh, we have beef with the FCC, so we usually <laughs> let one go through. If it slips out, you we know, we know. Well, I got it. I got that restraint. Um, yeah. But so, uh, <laughs> what I thought about was was uh, Saturday Night Live itself is kind of a racist platform, right? Like, yeah. and it's like these white fantasies of comedy, right? Like, and they've never had any Latinos on uh, in the cast except lot, Horatio Sands and, and a I lot think, of tokenization, right? Yeah. And when they do, it's just like these whack, like, and when they do portray. Latinos in their sketches, it's like the most racist stuff, like sexually strong. I say it in there. And so I was wanted to do an open letter to Saturday Night Live um, regarding their invitation to Donald Trump to host. Cool. We'll take a listen. Uh, there's also a great video that goes with it, so peep that online. But the audio, I think, does it justice. Here's an open letter to SNL regarding Donald Trump. Ricardo Gamboa here on Ergo 88.5 WHPK. Hey, Saturday Night Live. I'm Ricardo Gamboa. Wow. From Killer Cops to Rachel Dolezal, it seems white people can't stop f***ing up. And the current pinnacle of white fucked upness to emerge is no other than presidential hopeful Donald Trump. Trump's anti-immigrant rhetoric that Mexicans are criminals and rapists and his fantasies to deport Latino immigrants have ignited hate all across this country. Hate isn't funny, so we're all confused why you would invite Trump to host your show on November 7th. Wait a minute. Saturday white live. Now that I think about it, maybe producer Lauren Michaels hates Latinos too and is just as racist as Donald Trump. In over 40 years of existence, your show has only had two Latino cast members and it is constantly portraying Latinos according to racial stereotypes, like Cecily Strong's 2014 depiction of a Venezuelan mail order bride. It seems you could use some Latinos at 30 Rockefeller Plaza, not just as janitors, but in the cast. And since you haven't had a gay Mexican on the show since Adam Sandler, I figure, why not me? I can play racist Latino stereotypes. The spicy Latino gang member. I'll shoot you, ese. You don't know my social context, vato. You think this shit's a game? Do I look like a fucking Nintendo? Sega Genesis? Atari? The really spicy telenovela Latino hottie. La verdad es que yo soy muy caliente. Spicy Latino gay. I went to the salon to get highlights, but the puta de stupida cabrona gave me nightlights. It's a hate crime. I got stereotypical Latino special skills, like I can pull guacamole out of my butthole. Watch. Fuck you, Saturday Night Live. I grew up watching your show. My parents would let me and my sister stay up late, and we would watch and laugh together. And I would imagine we were one of many families laughing together all across this country, and for moments, we were just like everyone else. Now, we all know national and racial unity is bullshit, but brown kids today at least deserve to live in a country where hate against them is not championed and given the spotlight. There's no easy way to say this, but I'm gonna just try and do my best. Good people of SNL and Lorne Michaels, go fuck yourself. Live from Chicago. <laughs> <laughs> so you're not getting no NBC checks no right. time soon. So I will not be invited to audition for Saturday Night Live anytime soon. <laughs> but we're... Real quick, y'all, I just want to do this uh, community service right. here since I've been using this word so much. We got the definition of precarious. <laughs> um, first of all, it's an adjective for everyone who doesn't know. Um, number one, it means not securely held or in position, dangerously likely to fall or collapse. Also, dependent on chance or uncertain. So that's that's our way to educate the people mm -hmm. today. Y'all got a new word. There's a, there's a third definition. It's the uh, the way that Ti's hat stays on his head. That is a precarious. <laughs> <laughs> wow, you dug in the crates for that reference. Oh, school Ti hat slam. So so it's good to hear us chuckle a little bit. So I, I have a question for you, right? Because yeah. like obviously from the from the top of the show, uh, the people can like who are just meaning you can assume that you're like brilliant and you deal with like a lot of dense things and and you have like this way of using words and language. But you're also like one of the funniest people out. Uh, so how do you balance that like? internal tension of like 
dealing with like the heaviest and darkest things in the world um in such a like intellectual way but also being so silly and free and like uh radical with your humor um you know i mean it's like masturbation it's another way to get it out you know? <laughs> like i think though like no i think one of the cool things about comp right so and it makes you feel better yeah <laughs> yeah um sometimes i laugh yeah, um, <laughs> but i think like one of the things that's cool is um you know like uh comedy right is is i think about even like dick gregory right like mm. you know black activist and comedian or things like that or even eddie murphy you know eddie murphy ron delirious so much of what he's talking about is like race and class yeah. issues and even masculinity right like and all that stuff like really really made an impression on me when i was a kid um but i think part of it is two things one people are thinking critical all the time and they're actually expropriated from their criticality right they're expropriated mm. into thinking like nah like really what i'm saying doesn't matter mm. or like if i'm thinking that like everyone's out to get me it's a conspiracy theory and it is you're right it's that you know <laughs> like you are in the matrix um, but like uh and so like they're 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 ready and 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 we're all ready and hungry and wanting to like engage in in those nuanced critiques and then the other thing right is uh no one wants to be preached to you know what I mean? And, yeah. and that idea of like, oh, I, I've, I've worked out this stuff for my seminar paper at NYU. Now let me come and break it down. I don't even think that. Like, if anything, my young people the, that I work with or the different communities I've worked with have informed me as much as I feel I'm trying to throw these certain ideas back into the back into their vocabulary, you know? Yeah. Um, but comedy for me is like, it is a way to, um, it's it's cathartic and it's a way, it's, it's, it's a, and it's, it's uh, the most general and democratic form, mm. I think. Yeah. You know? yeah, yeah, and you get that immediate feedback to it on it. Oh, it's yeah, like you know. it, if it lands, it lands. You know, on if that some level. ain't good. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like, um, so for you, and I think humor is maybe one way to do this. But you know, taking on big and small, but especially like big challenges in the world and things with a lot of power. Like, how do you, from your own like standpoint of staying sane, like not feel like you're shouting into the wind? well there's a couple of things right i've been thinking about this a lot like the reality is like you know my my shouting gets me a certain amount of like recognition and so i'm very careful to like make sure that when i speak it's it's not for me it's not for like some latent type of like desire to get affirmation right mm -hmm. to get like mm -hmm. likes on a facebook post or something like that and there's that constant vigilance the other thing um and, and i and i also just think like it you know it's hard like there are days like and it sounds crazy as hell now that i'm about to say it out loud but like there are days where i just like start crying you know what i mean or i just like feel so overwhelmed i'm like i gotta sleep um just because of of, of what's happening um and maybe the object is right like is to sit in that you know fanon right like i was listening to this uh puerto rican academic like intellectual nelson maldonado torres reading fanon right franz fanon yeah. like black uh, anti-colonial theorist and he's like, what really Fanon is saying is like, you can only think after weeping. Mm. You know what I mean? Like, and that, wow. and, and and so I think like, I don't mind like kind of like sitting in a well of my own tears and not out of indulgence, but like, because like, that's really where we're at. Like, there's right. a lot of things to cry about. That's some you know? honesty right there. You know, so it? I feel yeah. like me and, and, and part of how, part of what's been so great is everyone avoiding pain, right? Like, let's get the good life, the wife, the kids, the, the picket fence. And so people are chasing, right? The promise of happiness any way they can. We see that, and, and that good life is inverted, right? In like the hip hop, uh, the hip hop rendering mm -hmm. of it, right? Where it's like the chains, the the, the ladies, the boats, you know? Yeah. And so we have to like, I, I don't need to be happy. <laughs> you know, I got a lot of love in my life and and that's a complicated feeling too. And, and I'm okay with that. Huh. Wow. When you say you don't need to be happy, I mean, so I can see that, but then it's like, but do you want, like, how do you, how do you make space for the joy though? And this is getting like super therapy. Like I just had my first therapist appointment. Shouts to it's good, uh, right? Morgan Concepcion. <laughs> uh, she's the therapist. Um, but for you, like, <laughs> and she'll continue to get shout outs. But for you, like, how do you make space to, because happiness or like chasing that satisfaction of like the retweet or the new house or whatever is different from joy. Like where does the joy come from in the work or in the community and all that? Yeah. Um, I, I think that's it, right? Like there's a, we, we always think of, of feelings as states, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, and, and what I, and we also think of them as, uh, you know, so it's like, oh, I, I'm at a state of happiness. I have all mm. these things. Now I'm in this realm of what, what's supposed to make me happy. Most people aren't. For me, like, like these feelings are doings. 
You know what I mean? So like joy is like the doing of like chilling with Christiana and like talking about oppression one minute and then like Kendrick Lamar the next and like, you know, or or, or uh, putting my tongue in my boyfriend's mouth, you know, <laughs> or like other appendages in each other's mouths, you know, like, and so like, you know, drinking, drinking with my parents or, or things like that. So I think like, and I think that's really important, right? Because how we only know how to think about activism often is as like this like struggle right like right. this like taxing type of or angry type of idea right. and so it, but there is other ways right to act in the world and be active in the world mm -hmm. you know there are other doings and feelings to tap into that do equal if not more powerful work yeah and i think as you're saying that like a lot of the guests that we have even if they don't claim it like are doing that type of work mm -hmm. that falls under like the activism or social change social justice type of work and it usually takes one or two forms like very outward against the system uh but there's also the the internal work and and the community building um and so often it's done through teaching right and so when talking to you especially a year ago right like every other sentence is my students did this yeah. my students said that even now you're saying that you learn more from your students than from the nyu right. like was it phd or master's PhD. I'm in my PhD. Oh my right god! Now. Check you out. Um, hustling. So so how, so <laughs> I want to talk about that tra transition in, into being an artist to teaching artists. Like, how did it come from being a doer uh, for self or just with self um, to like actively planting these seeds and nourishing? Yes, I could talk about students how who are now happens. starting to flourish. No, right, you, yeah. you can talk it in the personal sense. Uh, you know, and so like, well, I'll say this right that like oftentimes what what we've seen is the economic mandate of artists who cannot find within the channels of individual success the the need to have to then sell their talent in as as a form of wage labor you know in in, t in terms of teaching young people mm. i never had to this for me that that young people are not apart from my practice and so, you know what i mean and then i have my individual practice i always thought of it as one practice mm. you know so even when i was like i'm going to be an actor i always knew it would be doing theater with with these people if it went out you know oil painting whatever it was i always knew that it was going to include that thing that that's part of it making together but that model though that you first said first said like you've seen that with other folks and that's a really interesting way to think about it, is like the way that they are able to you know sustain, sustain is by uh yeah having to be <laughs> engaging with youth in it whether that's something that like naturally would be the way that they create or not mm -hmm. you see that like a bunch i mean that makes perfect sense to me yeah i mean i do and I, that doesn't mean that those people are not like considerate or or have you know yeah. different various levels of consciousness or things like that but it is talking about right the difference between someone or an artist acting under the principles of economy versus acting in the in, in the urgency for ecology right and so like my thing is always like wow can, can we can we get another definition on, yeah on yeah, yeah economy it's a, it's ecology like i'm gonna do this stuff for money versus right. i'm gonna make a goddamn new world you right, know what i right, mean right, and part right, of what right. this world means is kind of like thinking differently about how, you know where i want to ascend to and part of this world what it means is thinking about who matters right like i don't care if if my work whether it's performance or whatever, ever lands like on the desk of someone at the MCA. I do care, right? Like that I have, there, there are people that, young people that have touched my life and that, and that we've interacted with each other that are having um, a radiant effect in their communities. You know what I mean? That it's like, one, 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 vibe, they're vibrating out. And that to me is super important. Did you care at some point whether it landed on the desk of the MCA? Yeah. You yeah. know, yeah, for sure. I think that like I would be lying uh, and being dishonest if I were to say no, and I want to, right? I want to be like, no, I was always just like this. I don't give a damn yeah. with the truth, you know. But I think part of like that's that's part of like the journey. You know what I mean? Like I think as an activist, like I was going to protest since I was like twelve and thirteen, and then part of what I've what what I came to is like I don't need to be, I don't need the state to see me. Actually, like the state can't touch what they can't see, so I'll do my work like in these weird ass, weird, no, you can say, you know, weird ass no, no. rehearsal rooms. You know what I mean? These weird ass rehearsal rooms, and where where no one knows what's happening. You know? Yeah. No, that that's a cool way to think about it. Is if you can remain, it's not invisible, but it's under, it's like in the shadows, basically, right. and then things can operate kind of more effectively or subvert things that wouldn't happen if it was under the spotlight yeah yeah and it's interesting um it's the the they can't touch what they can't see line i think is really powerful uh but but i know that you when working with youth specifically like minors right like the state some way is going to be like at least tacitly involved and have an eye on what you're doing right just like laws around being with kids um, and a lot of them go through like city grants so i know you yourself before it was like all the rage and popular uh to be against rom and against like the political machine in today's iteration um 
didn't you have a show with youth that was critical of the system that his administration actually like tried to pull the funding for? Or, yeah. Or so in, in, in 2000, I had a brief stint as a high school English teacher at a charter school. And um, in, two th- in the year 2000? In 2008. 2008. Yeah. Okay. And uh, yeah. 2000, 2007, actually, I think, 2007, 2008, one of my students, Natasha Hollett, was murdered at a bus stop. And this is like before like Chicago's violence started getting sensationalized. So I was always like, I'm going to make a play about this, mm-hmm. right? And then it turned out that I was working with the National Museum of Mexican Art with a group of young people. And, uh, and they would bring me back to work with them in the summers. And we had been working together for a few years. And when the Chicago violence became a newsworthy, sensationalized topic, one of the things that we said was like, we're going to make a play about this. And um, we kind of collectively agreed. And part of it was like, the people that should be making this play are the people that are affected in it and in, in the line of fire. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just like these like kind of like tales that you see when other theaters try and represent this, which was like the mom, the black mom crying right, at the right, end, right, you know right, what I mean? Right. Like Or kids being like, look how oppressed I am, that confessional mode. Yeah. I you know, what it was, was looking at, a, it ended up being personal, but also looking at like a structure, taking a structural analysis of violence. Mm-hmm. And part of that included looking at all the policies that Ron was enacting that were exasperating, right? Like the conditions to make someone go from deprived to depraved to even shoot someone, right? right? And um, so we made a play uh, under the auspices of After School Matters and a program officer came into rehearsal, watched quietly, stole a script from the room, and then messaged me and was like, you know, you got you to gotta censor this. You guys can't do this play. Mm. And so it wasn't my play to censor. So I went back and was like, okay, guys, like, here's the deal. Um, your job is not, you don't got to, this is not like a, a stand and deliver freedom writers type of movie. You don't got to take any stands you don't want to. But I also don't want to play you out of doing something that maybe you find meaningful. And so they were like, no, let's do it. And so we did some secret shows at Free Street Theater. Right. Um, much louder it was like street. 200 people came out like you know what i mean at one night we had to do back-to-back shows because the lobby was full mm. um and then we continued you know we rebranded or renamed ourselves the young fugitives um wow that's dope <laughs> yeah you know on the run right i had them read george jackson that summer and run three Ooh. miles part of their train their <laughs> theater training was running three miles or you know a couple miles a day and reading george jackson did you have to run with them yeah Okay. Uh, <laughs> Way to walk the walk. I had like run a the pina run, colada, I right? Like I was just like chilling, like, <laughs> like, 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 it's, like it's crew. You just stabbing with the megaphone. <laughs> Go! Uh, you want to talk about oppression? <laughs> Here's oppression. You actually like, get on the back of one of the kids. Like, you can give you a piggyback ride. <laughs> this is what the system feels yeah. like. <laughs> How you? If you can't survive me. So so has there was there any fallout or? Yeah, or I mean there was a huge fallout, that? right? Like I, I mean that's part of like. You know, I, I really realized part of when I was at, what I realized like, as a teacher is like what we need are people, are, are teachers that are willing to like take risk and you know this normative educational state standards thing like it's not applicable right to like to to a lot of young people in in terms of like in Spanish education doesn't just mean like going to school and what you learn class it's also like it means like your form your form of being mm. and like the form of being that we need to be transmitting onto young people is the type of like critic critical criticality type of like the the go in them right the mm-hmm. ergo uh <laughs> you like that plug the, the go in them to buck up against the system and to and to try and like fight you know like and and, and go for more yeah i think um you know, you mentioned this like uh what kind of what what you what you're trying to bring out in young folks and i think like one of the things that's interesting is looking at the different kind of rooms once they like graduate from those state type spaces, you know, the nonprofit world, like then where do they make things after that? Um, so one thing that, you know, has, I saw you talk about recently, or I guess it was a Facebook post. I follow, I'm, we're friends on Facebook. It's yeah. no big deal. Uh, <laughs> was, uh, you know, in the neighborhood where a lot of your work centers and where your life has centered, you know, and the, the ongoing uh, erasure and gentrification in Pilsen, um, and new art spaces continuing to pop up, you know, looking at, you know, this pretty much brand new dojo over there. Um, and, and, you know, here I'd heard about it from a couple friends. It's for, for those of you who don't know, it's like a DIY space. They're doing concerts, they're doing art galleries, stuff like that. Uh, I'd heard about it from a couple people in a positive way. Um, and then, you know, I saw you in, as you do, issue your challenge, basically. basically. Um I think one of the things that popped out in my mind is this is a space that like on paper in terms of like checking the boxes 
is doing a lot of things right. Like their their board is uh, a whole bunch of folks of color and women of color. They're doing all kinds of different production, but at the same time, they're still contributing, right? So I think like that's a perfect example of you doing what you do. Uh, for you looking at the way that those kinds of spaces fit into a neighborhood and a city, like if someone wants to make something new, like what, what, what are the words of caution you would give or, or, or the things you'd want them to keep in mind? I mean, right. So I think part of what happened was there is this kind of like underground, like cool, like kind of like, like vice-like type of publication called VAM that did a video on them. And part of how they celebrated them and like the posting and sharing of this video was like, yo, like look at underground, do it yourself, people of color, women, queers. And I'm just like, that is crazy because I'm brown and I'm queer. And like there's been there's a lot more of me and there's a lot of brown and, and, and you know, queer um, and, and, and women that have been in Pilsen for a while that have been, you know, d doing some do it yourself type of, right. of things. You know, my boy David Pintor has uh, built a, a theater in the back of his of his uh, of his parents house. It's a tent theater. You can go. There's air conditioning. There's a DJ booth and there is a bar, you know, and a, and we perform in there. I perform with him. That and that's there every summer, and it's you know kind of like politicized performance art meets sketch comedy type of stuff that's been there for five years, you know. And even before us, there's people like um, you know the the Decima Musa Cafe, which was you know a cafe funded by uh, founded by women of color, and that was huge for the cultural life. There's the Artelitas, right? So there's all these people that have been doing stuff and newcomers that are, new people that grew up in the hood that are doing stuff that get that get eclipsed. You know, and that never get to be represented or archived in the same way. There's a there's a there's a great thing to that, right? Again, the state can't touch what it can't see. You know, right. but I think in other ways, um, when we t you know, when we talk about like how history is written and who gets left out, how those dynamics play out, and I think if you're gonna start a new place, if you're gonna go somewhere, right? I think one of it's like being honest, right? So when I called this out, it wasn't like, yo, I know, like this this stuff is like really messy. It was like. No, I am like a queer and a intersectionality. And I'm like, yo, dude, we're not talking about Kimberly Crenshaw right now, right? Yeah. We're, we're just talking about the way artists, right? The fantasy of the artist as outside of capital. The fantasy right. of the artist as like not a part of the market. It's actually not true. And artists, making something from scratch too. That's it, as if like it was all empty space before. Right. You and know how that fits into it. Yeah, yeah I said that, right? Because part of what, what their deal is like, you know, we're a platform. And I actually think what they're, they're, I could, I could say like 10 good things off the top of my head about what's valuable about what they're doing. Right. But like I, their thing was like, we're not participating in gentrification. I was like, damn dog can you tell me how because i've lived i've lived in this like community right i i i grew up you know largely in largely in here um i do a ton of activist work around here and i am participating in gentrification so like when Teach you when, you, you know fit, fit like help me you know but like the reality is like that's that's not it you know and some another artist chimed in like well maybe you should be thinking about the developers and not uh and and not picking on artists and I essentially and I was like damn like that's really messed up because there was a similar thing that was happening right like when people were telling Black Lives Matter activists and BYP that they should be they should march in their own communities right. not downtown right. and I'm like right. you don't get to adjudicate right. right like how people want to confront certain issues yeah. um what you can do I thought about this with, with my boyfriend right I was like here's some things that I think I need to address in this relationship <laughs> and I thought about like how can I address this stuff so that he can hear and if he like and when he addresses stuff i'm like how can i listen mm -hmm. and like the first thing i do say sorry and mean it you know what i yeah, mean like yeah. and what happens like you get this people like they get tight right they close yeah. up and what they don't want to do because of like their own their the fantasy of the self is just be like i know and i think judgeification like i said this like we got to find new ways to talk about it that aren't just like these dichotomies like newcomer and native you know what i mean like things like that um, and that your identity, whether it's queer or whatever, in any in any cipher of injustice, doesn't excuse you from how you roll with it. You know. Yeah, and you got to be honest about the role you play. Right. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I um, I want to talk a little bit about about the piece you did at at, at Breathing Room. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and or or maybe not so much the piece, but kind of. The, the spirit behind that and how that embodies a part of you, especially off um, your discussion about being queer. Um, you, you you are so uh, 
bold and intentional about discussing sexuality um, and, and these issues. So, so how how has that intersectionality, right? Like, it feels like it's pushed you to just be more oppo oppositional, the the like embodying of all of your identities in one. But like specifically, uh, if we can have some space to 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 talk about how sexuality plays into these systems and into kind of how you operate and how you how you do things. Yeah, man, you can just like look up like all right, the woman of color feminists that were talking about like how they were being kind of like marginalized even within activist movements, mm -hmm. right? Like um, Audrey Lord and they were queer, right? Like Sheree Moraga, Gloria Ansaldúa. Lorraine Hansberry. Yeah, Lorraine Hansberry, right? So like, but so we, we know that, that that's been happening. Um, and also, right, like with, with queer men, you know, that, that that's kind of been, been going on too. I think one of the things though, right? So as an activism, right? You have a lot of like, it's a, it's a very straight dude dominant. You look at the yeah. activist celebrities, right? A right. lot of them are often like straight dudes, right? The activists, you know? And Who so like- Handsome. Yeah. <laughs> like good look, yeah. Uh, like Damon's handsome. <laughs> so, right? yeah. I was like, Christiana and Damon are, better looking sibling duo than me and my sister but one of the things though is that that I was thinking about is like you know and, and so I think like any 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 activist dude nowadays knows to be like very like you know not to be homophobic right mm -hmm. but it doesn't mean right that there's not a latent idea of disgust right and like with mm -hmm. straight people too like part of the gay marriage agenda right is a sanitization right of like queerness right the idea of like of oh we're just like you guys yeah. and look at we're gonna have yeah. the house and it's like no like I want to be able to bang how I want to bang and like yeah. gay intimacy is really like shitty literally you know what I mean <laughs> like sometimes and like how do we throw that in the straight world's face right. you know what I mean like and how do we right so much of like what how oppression works is through sanitization right the FCC censorship the right. the urban revitalization the 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 cleaning the the curfews on youth you building know building I mean? a new Chicago right you know it's all about <laughs> the, the the language right of uh of safety and sanitization yeah. and so then like what what happens when you're like no our bodies are messy and they fit together in messy ways both literally and figuratively and let's start let, let's start talking about that and bringing that to the center because what's happening right is the the necessary observable appearances that's a marxist and altazare term boom but but the idea of like how no, this stuff no <laughs> like the idea like this is how the world is right like this is really just how it is like like clean blocks or how it should be has has been an idea that's been naturalized right you know and so like one one of the things that we always charge queer intimacy and gay sex is that it's unnatural you know and so but what i say it does is it denaturalizes these naturalized perceptions of how things should be and to me like Part of that starts with like the interruption, the disturbance, and like bringing the mess, you know, forward. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think in the same way that like it, it 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 brings it into a space and it acts as a as a reflection and a mirror to get folks, whether that's you know whether whether it's the same mess or a different mess, it gets them confronting their own mess. Um, and I do think like there are conversations around sexuality that happen independent from sex, especially right. in organizing communities. Uh, do you, where have been some rooms or some times where like there have been kind of frank conversations about sex and it, it always, it's either in the context of, or often is in the context of either sexuality or uh, react, reactionary instances of violence yeah. um, around it. Like how do we make some like safe space to talk about sex? I think by making an unsafe space. You know what I mean? So I even yeah, think, right, the language yeah, of security says, resonates yeah. with the language of, like, safe space. I always say like, safety is an illusion. Right, you yeah. know, it's like, how do you, like, just say, like, yo, we're going we're gonna to catch each other. You know what I mean? Like, and it might hurt to catch you and, and to throw this out there, but, like, anything, you know, let's be, like, real. Like, one, what is it? One has some crazy statistic. Like, one half of all black women have been sexually, will be sexually assaulted by the time they're 18 or abused or molested, you know? And, like, yeah. think about, like, when, and, you know, Laquan McDonald was, you know, was right. sexually abused. And, like, these ways in which the body, right, based on, on, like, its physical form, its visceral form, right, like, becomes already a site of, like, violence making and things like that and intimacy, Right. And alienating you from the ability to be intimate with someone else. Yeah. You know, so like a lot of times there's like this language of love, the rhetoric of love and a lot of activism. Mm -hmm. But like I don't think they really get as deep as they should with that. It sounds really cool and superficial and glossy, but right. like what is that love? Yeah, you know yeah. what I mean? That was like, that and that was my, my next question because you know, I I think 
the milieu or the, or the, at least like the um, the community of organizing that I'm a part of strives to be very intentional about being inclusive and about being intersectional. Uh, but sometimes it could just be rhetorical right. or, or just through buzzwords. Um, so so from your position, like what, what are some of the ways that you are seeing um, contradictions or limitations in like people operating under like we call the, the black queer feminist lens um, in, in a way that that is inauthentic or actually recreates some of that marginalization or some of that fetish fetishization is, is what I sometimes see. Yeah, you know, like the black queer feminist intersectional lens, right? Like I think part of one, I think it's beautiful, but part of what they were doing, right? Like was a, that was a systemic critique. You know what I mean? Like, and what I mean by that is like, it was about being able to to name something. And I think what we've seen in the in the emergence of certain types of identity politics Right, is intersectionality and identity as a form of power making. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Within right, within like kind of like the oppressed communities in terms of who has the authority to speak and when. And it's super important, right? Like it is not my job to like adjudicate black movements or you know what I mean? Right, like right, things right, like right, that. Right. Like and and you know, but we see like this the emergence of like the rhetorics of allyship and things like that. I think where I'm at right now is a non-identitarian politic. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, yeah, and, I and like, because what's happening is, you know, the becoming system, a token. Sometimes. Right. And the yeah. system is, is, isn't, it might be killing us, it might be killing us particularly, right? Like it, it, in terms of like police brutality, it's killing black people. Mm -hmm. That is not a brown issue. If you're Latino, do not talk to me about like that, like, yeah, your body's oppressed too when it comes to police. I know that they're harassed, right? We know that immigrants have been assimilated into the prison industrial complex, but cops are killing black kids and vigilantes are killing black kids, right? Mm -hmm. That's real. But we also got to acknowledge that like something like citizenship is something that black people have and, you know, Latinos do not, you know what I mean? Right. It's a very screw, you know? And, and so what I'm saying though, is like, and then you got to compensate, right? Oh, it's a jacked citizenship, you know? Um, but I think what we got to do is start looking at non-equivalent yet linked racial and differentiated subject subjectivities. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? That they're not the same, but they're all together. Um, and how do you, and part of what happens is how we know how to talk about that usually is by, only is by being the scales of who's going right. through it worse or Oppression things like Olympics. that. Right. Yeah. And so then how do we then find different metrics where it's not about talking about who's got it worse? You know what I mean? Right. Like, yeah. like, like, <laughs> you know, and so I'm thinking about, you know, about that, about that. Stuff. And it's just hard because, you know, as much as I, I talk mess about like the ally politics and, and the rhetorics around that, that came out out of a really necessary thing. I don't think coalition building works. You know, like yeah. I don't think the the racial fantasy of coalition politics works. I think at least we need, not in this reality we're in right, right now. Right, we need another another reality. <laughs> and you know, there's this book called um, "The Presumed Alliance," about like this guy that researched how how black people block so much legislations that were for Latinos, even when it was against their interest because of the constant influx of Latinos feeling that their power would be mitigated. Right. And then just being brown, I know it's, you know, a, a, a load of Mexican, like um, racist Mexicans, right. you know, yeah. like and racist Latinos. And it's been so, I think what's, I mean, I was, there was one time where I like Sean came home and I was like, wanted to like break something. Cause I just stumbled upon some South side newspaper where after people that were like, well, you know, those niggers need to do this or like they shouldn't be marching over here or things like that we're brown like their names are gonzalez ruiz yeah. ramirez you know and i was just like damn zimmerman like, you know Hernandez <laughs> and dante servant you know? right yeah you know and so it's just kind of like thinking about that you know so it's, it's a very Ted messy Cruz. terrain and we need a new language we need you know yeah ted cruz we need a new uh, uh, I, I really do think we need we need a new language and not just it's not semantic right like yeah. it's a way of creating a new code yeah, and as like cliches, it's I think like the the reexamining like what love means in terms of like building empathy that way between folks who have some shared and some different experiences, uh, and like the like the it became it's it's a rallying cry in a lot of the like justice is what love looks like in public, but how do we like figure out what love looks like in private? And mm. if that conversation isn't happening. How are we supposed to take it out into the world? You know. So like compassion, right? I think about the word passion, like the passion of Christ, right? We're talking mm. about suffering. You know what I mean? Like mm. and how like, you, you know, but then we're also talking about like passion in terms of like two, two lovers that can't stop, right? But like how like, 
though you know like what happens if like we start marrying these meanings of the words right like and start thinking about like so even something like compassion right like being in suffering and in and and in love together mm-hmm. you know what i mean which also resonates with this thing like called compression you know like wow. and about being pressed together being mm-hmm. like being under the pressures and the the external forces together and so like how those could start becoming operating from that space can both provide the means of acknowledging each other's suffering without erasing the particularity mutual recognition um through through acknowledgement of cultural particularity you know and i think that that's possible yeah uh, so so in in the work that you that you do it feels like um i i've seen you intentionally bring your queerness to to change um or expand the discussions especially around racial politics and like state violence um but i am not aware and i'm curious do you ever bring your position as a as um as a a latino to traditionally like lgbtq issues and, and efforts and that type of organizing i know that's a very different scene with a very different like class basis yeah for sure i mean i think right like part of um there's this thing that i do in new york right called like trips and you know they're like these queer literary series where oftentimes i would be the only person of color you know what i mean like or i think in a lot of uh and 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 so i also right think about just a lot of different ways in which like for me um when i think about queer politics if it is about like the ability to denaturalize things queer politics as a method right like i'm going to denaturalize this shit I think part of uh what Latino politics is, right? Is like and or be or brown politics is like getting the things dirty. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like is is like, you know, I think about when my grandparents come over and like Little Village in Pilsen, these like Mexican neighborhoods, they just paint the houses random colors, right? It's <laughs> like a bright blue house, a bright orange house, you know, they paint over like these old school bricks and it's about, you know, that type of coloring. And I think that that is what like what I try and do as like a brown dude like walking into Right, like, like um, someplace like uh, a, a queer literary art or art space or a queer activist space. You mentioned a couple of times going back and forth to New York. Are, are you still doing it? How, how is that process? How is split living? How is it, you know, because yeah. you have to like wear two brains, right? Like you're more cultural and artistic when you're home. And yeah. there, you, you know, you're much more intentionally like academic. When I right? moved to New York, the scariest thing was I decided that I wasn't going to teach or work with young people there or in communities there. And that was deterritorializing. Part of it was I realized how how dishonest and dis, how ingenuine I felt trying to relate to these young people and telling them how to navigate a space that I wasn't from and couldn't understand. And so like, even if I like stood to needed to make a living, I was like, this can't be the way, you know what I mean? Like I, and I lived there for five, five years before I actually felt like that I had some, something to offer in some place, you know, some type of legitimacy flying is back, you know, last semester I went back every Monday uh, it's all Damn. it's all fun and games until like you're Oof. it's like you're snowed in and you're sleeping in an airport you know what I mean or like yeah. taking cabs back and forth um, this semester I'll be going back every other Tuesday and to direct a reading of your sister's play oh yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I'll be out there um, <laughs> and then I didn't uh, know you were directing that that's dope but th- not, not but I could whisper the oh. another the show the read the play reading that's following oh, uh, she's that's just following got so that. many yeah, plays she out here she be dealing yeah. that she's like here's my ace of spades here's my queen of you know the cologne one the <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so I mean, I think part of it has been about, you know, thinking, but I think part of what it's done is thinking about like, yo, like, I'm a like that, like, I'm a big gentrifier in, in New York. I live yeah. in Bed-Stuy, Brooklyn, you know what I mean? I'm displacing these like West Indian communities that have been there. I think it's been about looking at like these like global networks of like power and privilege and getting a, a more planetary conscious, you know? Yeah, I mean, at least, you know, and I'm projecting, but like my shared experience as a transplant coming here is there's nothing that helps you understand uh, why folks do what they do that like why well-intentioned folks do what they do like being a transplant because right. it's like I, I used to scream at people moving to New York right. like and, and hold that grudge and I still can critique it and, right. but you know I can't remove myself what part are you from from the Bronx yeah wait where yeah, stand up uh, South Riverdale okay cool uh, I did some stuff like, like off like the Grand Concourse yeah, yeah like I went Eugene to Hostess Bronx, and, like... Bronx Science stand up <laughs> <laughs> you know thank you so I, I just admire you and I appreciate your time so we broke format and just like I want to 
to just hear you switch your shit a little bit. Um, <laughs> off top of your head, if you had to have beef with an R&B singer, who would it be? Ooh, uh, R. Kelly. All right, easy. There we go. <laughs> uh, uh, he's a he's a multi-repeated guest on, on, or contributor to R. Like, Kelly, but I miss Tevin Campbell. Singer. My beef is like, Tevin, come back. Oh, uh, yeah, we've heard that, that beef as well. So we can get out. Do you have anything coming up or any like social media or anything you, people can find? You know, you, you can at? check me out on Facebook. My my profile Are you writing a book, man? When's your book? <laughs> no, I'm, waiting, I'm waiting for your sister's book to come okay. out and your book to come out. <laughs> then I'll try and add to the conversation. <laughs> The, so, but where can people kind of stay up on you? Is there a Twitter, Facebook? What do you? What, what, yeah, yeah, Facebook. Uh, my Twitter handle is Argambo Esquire. I never use it, um, but usually I'm posting what I'm up to on on Facebook all the time. Yeah, find them in the shadows out here in the right. city of Chicago. Well, you can't find me, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Much appreciation, and love, Mr. No, Ricky Gambo. You. This is 88.5 FM WHBK. You just rocked out with Ergo. You got all sports coming up next. Much love. <laughs>